You are now listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Good morning to you. Glad that you're here. Before we jump in, what I would like to do is is kind of just encourage you to take a moment uh, for yourself with the Lord. Um, we don't always do this, um, but I just, I, I'm wanting you today to, um, to move into a place with the Lord um, where you can receive from Him. Um, so often in our lives, um, even as Christians, especially as Christians, we are in various places that maybe we're not sure if they're good places to be in or not. Um, maybe you come in here today and you do know the Lord, but um, your life is, is so chaotic and maybe it's, it's just so um, overwhelming. Uh, maybe you've failed continually um, at, at fighting sin or at, um, at uh, growing in the Lord, at spending time with Him on a regular basis. And maybe you're even in a place to where uh, you're afraid you're not even a Christian anymore. Um, or that the Lord's um, maybe favor is not upon you or that He's uh, consistently disappointed in you. Uh, maybe you come in here and, and maybe uh, you aren't um, a believer in Jesus and are just exploring. Um, or maybe uh, you have been for a while and maybe you're simply becoming apathetic towards the things of the Lord and you don't know why. Uh, maybe your heart is in a place in which uh, you, you have apathy and you're afraid of that apathy. Maybe, maybe that apathy has, has moved you into a place and where... You don't really even think about the Lord, and maybe you've spent some time away from Him consistently in your daily life. You just, you don't really want to read your Bible or, or pray or, or anything of that sort. Maybe there's been tragedy, or, or maybe, maybe you're in the best place that you've ever been in your whole life. And maybe you, you are so close to the Lord, and, and, uh, and you can't help but shout His name from the rooftops on a daily basis. In, in any regard of where you are today, the Lord wants to speak to you. Um, no matter where you're at, no matter where you stand, the Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to draw you into himself. He wants to draw you near. He wants to grow you and, and make you new. He wants to create in you a clean heart. He wants to see um, the glory of his son in you and that you would showcase him to the world. And so today, um, the best thing that we can have is, is God's voice in our life. I think about my children and, um, and how often, and I use illustrations a lot about my kids. That's my world right now, right? Young children. Um, and for us, um, I just know that when uh, they're in a place of chaos or of fear or of, of uh, disappointment or trepidation or um, in a place of, of failure or, or whatever it may be, even in a place of want and lacking, um, <clears throat> the best thing that we can do, the best thing that I can do is sit down and talk with them through it. And when I'm able to talk with them through it and, and kind of filter through their thoughts and their emotions, um, that can change the whole course of, of their day. And a consistency of that can change the whole course of their lives. And so I know no, no matter where you're at today, the greatest thing that you need is for your father to speak words into your life. The best thing that you need is for God's, uh, to God to sit down with you, so to speak, through His Word and, and give you um, some words of life and, and filter through some things uh, for you. But in order to hear, sometimes what we need to do is first cast. And what I mean by that is that in order sometimes for us to be able and ready to hear from the Lord, we need to first cast some things upon Him, some anxieties or some fears um, or, or some uh, moments that are lingering or some guilt or some, some shame. And, and I want you to spend this time for just a couple of minutes to, to no matter where you're at, to just cast uh, upon the Lord, cast upon Him, allow Him to take those things from you so that you would be ready to receive what's most important for you, which is His voice in your life. And that's what we get when we read His Word. So do that. And it's just for just a couple minutes, I'll, I'll uh, close us and then and, and open us, so to speak, in prayer. But take a couple minutes in your seat by yourself, cast your, uh, your burdens, um, no matter where you're at, upon the Lord, and then ask for Him to speak over and into your life as we read His Word. Go ahead and spend just a couple of minutes doing that.
Father, we come before you this morning, and I love the people in this room, and I know that you love them. And God, I know that you are calling them to yourself. You are making clear to them the gospel of grace. As you open up your, um, as we open up your word and you open up your mouth to speak into our lives, I pray that we would hear from you sweet words from our God and Father. I pray that we would be changed by them, that we would glorify you because of them. God, no matter where we're at, I pray that we would have open ears and a ready heart to receive your words so that we may glorify you in all we do and that we would enjoy you for all of the time. And uh, God, that we would know you for eternity. And so God, we pray your blessing spirit that you would come and that you would do a mighty work in us this morning as we open up your word for just a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is where we are. We're moving into Luke chapter 3, so we only have about 21 chapters left in this book. Um, So we're almost done. And uh, uh, I'm excited, though. I'm, I'm very excited to move into some of the adult narratives, and I think you guys will be as well. Um, but uh, I, I want to explain to you what's going on before we read in, <clears throat> in, 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 for a little bit. Um, and, and what's happening, what, what we've seen so far, <clears throat> excuse me, in the book of Luke, is we have seen um, a lot of, uh, of the narrative of Jesus um, coming into the world. And so we have seen his baby narratives. We've seen the, the even before that, the prophetic um, happenings and narratives of, of, of what was going to come when the Messiah would be born. And then we've seen, um, uh, again, the baby narratives of him coming into this place and the boy narrative of, of what it looked like for him to be in childhood. And although we were watching this take place and although we're saying to ourselves, man, this is great. The Messiah is here. This is finally it. We understand this now. What we don't understand is that the world didn't see this just yet. Like the whole world at this time was still really kind of waiting on the Messiah because the boy was hidden. The, the, the child was, was hidden. He was um, taken into remote places and he wasn't um, on the scene just yet. The Jewish people knew that the Messiah would be coming, the Christ, the anointed one, the coming king, although they had a different understanding of what this king would be. They knew that he was coming and even though he was here in his baby and childhood and boyhood days, he really hadn't come yet in the eyes of the world because no one had seen him. And so now what we're moving into is is a place in which Jesus is on the scene. He's about to be here starting his ministry like the Jewish people are going to see, okay, this is it. Now we're rolling right? The king is here. This is what we expected. Now the ministry begins and they're going to begin to notice, hey, the Messiah is here on earth. Or is this the Messiah? Is this the anointed one? Is this the coming king? And so what we have again have seen thus far is he's here, but really no one knows he's here. And now he's about to make his presence felt. It's go time, right? Like he's about to show the world who he is and what he came to do. So we've seen it, yet they didn't see it yet. And so now kind of step two in that process is the fact that John the Baptist is on the scene. And John is what we would see as a preparatory work for the people of God or the Jewish people first and foremost to be ready to receive this Messiah. So he's here, no one sees him yet, but he's coming, and now John, by God's ordaining, is coming first to prepare the hearts of the people, so that the people would be ready to receive this Messiah who is now here. And that's what we've seen thus far. If you look back just a a chapter, and you look in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 76 through 80, just flip there, it's good for you to flip around, get the feel of those pages in your fingers, right? Verse 76 of chapter 1, and you child, this is speaking of John the Baptist by his father Zechariah, will be a prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give the knowledge of salvation to his people, the Jewish people, in the forgiveness of their sins. So how their sins are going to be forgiven. Because, look at this great um, idea that is thrusting behind this forgiveness of sins. The tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The God will visit us. He's going to come. This is how this mercy will take place as God's going to visit us from on high. And John is going before him to prepare the way to give, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide feet, our feet into the way of peace. And then it speaks of John in chapter and verse 80 that the child grew and he became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to to Israel. So again, Jesus is here. Not everybody knows it yet. Prior to everybody knowing it, John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to start preparing the way, the hearts for the people to receive this Jesus. So now here we sit and John the Baptist is here. He's on the scene. And what we're about to read, so now I've just caught you up into this particular place. What we're about to read is John's message, Luke's message about John. And what's wonderful about this message is that you read this and it's like one of the hardest messages that, I don't know, maybe the Bible records. Like, I mean, this dude is serious, okay? He's speaking harsh words. Like, when you see these words, you're like, man, this makes me feel uncomfortable and I'm not even like in the situation, right? Like, you know, when you see something from afar and you feel uncomfortable and you don't know why because you're not even like involved in it, it doesn't reflect anything upon you. You're like, this is the situation. I'm like uncomfortable and yet it's like the Bible and it's already happened, right? And so we see this situation of John speaking some hard, hard truth and we're going to see the result is that he's going to be eventually killed because of his boldness. Yet, what's so amazing is that within this message, the hard truth is actually good news. It's actually good news because, look, we're not going to cover all of this today, okay? But we want to look ahead for just a second and look at verse 18. So after all this hard truth, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And when you read all of this and read what he said right before that, you're going to say, wait a second, and that's how you've summarized it, God? Good news? Like, he's preached all of this, like he's saying, you brood of vipers, the winnowing fork is here, he's going to scorch the rest with unquenchable fire, and I mean, you're like, and then he preached more good news to the people as well, okay? And so you're looking at this and you're wondering to yourself, why is this good news? Well, here's why it's good news. Look to verse 18, which is really kind of like almost a thrust thesis to the whole section. Verse um, 8, I'm sorry. Look at verse 8. It says, bear fruit. This is John speaking to the Jewish people who are the recipients of this message. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And so what John is doing here, remember, Jesus is on the scene. Nobody knows it yet. Now, Jesus is coming to start. It's game time. John is coming to prepare the hearts and make people ready. His message is a pretty harsh message. But the message is good news and loving because the harshness of the message tells us the heart of God. And here's what the message is. The message is a grace based righteousness before God, not a works-based righteousness before God. And so he's preaching a heart's message to repent from trying to earn your right standing with God. The repentance here is a very specific form of repentance. It's not just any old repentance. He is speaking to a very specific context of repentance, which is Turn away from a works-based righteousness into a grace-based righteousness. Isn't that good news? That's great news. And so although it's a harsh message and he's rebuking them forcefully, what he's calling them to do is something liberating. 
He's calling them to turn away from trying to keep the law in order to earn right standing with God. He's turning them away from basing their favor from God upon their own particular works. He's calling them away from trying to keep the law purely to be justified before God. He's turning them away from a legalism and a law-based righteousness from earning their right standing before this holy God. This is good news. Turn away from trying to earn your way to God and turn to grace. That's what the news is. That's good news. And he's doing it forcefully because, man, what a love God has for his people. So much so that he would rebuke them from trying to earn their way to him because he says, no, no, I'm going to do it for you. Trust in my son and you'll be saved by grace. And so that's the context of this situation. And what's wonderful is that this grace is going to be ushered in by someone very powerful the king. That's why we see the inauguration of this gospel of grace. The king is coming. The king is here. And with him, he is bringing a grace-filled good news that you can be in right standing with God based upon his merit and his merit alone. And so what we're going to see in this passage as we walk through it, there's A lot in this. Verses 1 through 22 are all together. um, The kind of the the whole uh, picture of this passage. So we're going to break this up into three parts. This will be part one of it. We're going to cover the first six verses, okay? I I started getting overzealous, and then I started saying to myself, yeah, this ain't going to be possible, right? And uh, so let's go with the first six, and then we'll do part two next week and part three the following. But the whole thrust of this is this inauguration of this grace-filled gospel. And... um, And today when we look at this, we're going to look at two aspects of this gospel of grace. The gospel of grace has been ushered in because the king is here and he's brought with him this gospel of grace. Repent, turn away from a works-based righteousness before God and turn to the gospel of grace. And we see two very important aspects of this gospel of grace in our first six verses. That's what we're going to look at today. So let's read verses one through six. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Albaline, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We're going to keep reading on to verse 22 if I didn't mention that just to give the whole scope. Again, we're only covering verses 1 through 6 today. So let's keep going. Ready? He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Like, remember that? Like, what if I stood up here and that was like my opening line? Okay. Hey, welcome to the field church, you brood of vipers. Right? Like, that's his line here. I'm telling you. Right? We warned you. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So now what we're seeing again is him rightly put the order ordering of what happens. The fruits are going to be keeping with the repentance. The fruit isn't the the main crux of what makes you in right standing with God. The fruit is the result of the initial repentance and belief in God. And so he's, he's altering the ordering of what these Jewish people understand. And verse 8, halfway through, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Remember, this is the grace 
gospel. This is not the works-based gospel. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Once again, showing the works are a result of the belief in the gospel of grace. That works do not earn our right standing with God. He's reversing the order. Verse 10, And the crowds asked him, What then? shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teachers, what shall we do? So he's talking about you bearing fruit now that you believe. And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, look at John's humility. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming to, uh, is coming the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him from for Herodias, his brother's wife. You guys can read about this in other Gospels. This is where John will be prisoned and, and, and killed. For all the evil things that Herod had done, this shows you how bold he was, added this to them all in that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened up. Once again, once we get to this, we'll show you pictures in the other Gospels and which expand this picture of Jesus' baptism. Luke is choosing very carefully which aspects of this story to include in his gospel. The other gospels will include different aspects of it. Um, Verse 22, And the Holy Spirit... Um, descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so that's the storyline. And this is John ushering in the gospel of grace. He's preparing hearts to receive the gospel of grace. He's calling out repentance that people, these Jewish people, wouldn't base their rights with God upon the righteousness, but on a new way, which is grace that comes through the King coming, the Messiah coming. So we're going to see two of these aspects. What are these aspects? Well, the first aspect that we see in our passage in the first six verses is the great scope of the gospel of grace. The first, we're going to see this gospel of grace and two very pointed aspects of this gospel of grace. And the first is the great scope of this gospel of grace. Now, scope might be an irrelevant word in your life, but it's the most appropriate. Scope, the weight, the extent, the area, the subject matter pertains to. How wide, how deep this stretches and this goes. It shows us the magnitude, the weight, the first couple verses of this gospel of grace. This is what John is preaching. This is what he's preparing people's hearts for. And the first thing that Luke does is show us the scope of this, the magnitude of it, the weight of this gospel of grace. And it's beautiful. It helps us to understand how weighty it should be in our own life. And so what we're going to do is just walk through this. Ready? So stay in this with me. We see in the beginning, in verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And so when you're walking through this, you're asking yourself, why is John, or why is Luke, I'm sorry, going to such an extent to explain who's the rulers during this time, right? And and we're going to answer that question. So that's where we're going. So in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So Luke starts out this section, listen, in secular history. That's where he's starting this. Like Tiberius Caesar is the emperor of where? Rome. 
Okay? It's outside the Jewish culture. That's where this begins. Tiberius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, reigned until 14 AD, and then Tiberius Caesar began to reign right after this. Uh, uh, Tiberius Caesar reigned right after Augustus, and this was 15 years after he started his reign. If he started in 14 AD and he reigned for, and this was the 15th year, what year are we in? All right, there you go. Good job. Okay, so now what we see is this is the time frame. Now jump over to uh, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about what? 30 years of age. So we know the setting, we know who's ruling, and yet this is starting in secular history, outside of any of the Jewish culture. That is unique. He's telling us who the emperor is. It's Caesar. And what we see from this then is it moves further, 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 further into the world of the Jewish people. It starts out big and it gets closer and closer and closer. This has a pattern to it. It's purposeful. So follow along. Now Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. So Pontius Pilate is now the governor of Judea. If you remember, you're going to go both ways now. Ready? We're going to go both ways. We're going to go past and we're going to go future. If you remember when we looked at Matthew chapter 2 last week, you guys remember Matthew chapter 2 when we went back there to show this picture of the wise men? We'll flip back there again. Matthew chapter 2, just a couple of books earlier. Matthew chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 22. Matthew chapter 2, looking in verse 22. But when he heard that who? Archelaus was reigning over Judea. So that's when he was a child. The dream came and they fleed because Archelaus was ruling over Judea. So now why is Pontius Pilate ruling over Judea? Well, the story goes that Herod the... Great, who was the one who went to kill all the children two years old and under when Jesus was a baby. That was the father of these people that we're going to see proceeding in our passage. One of his sons was Archelaus. Archelaus took the region of Judea, except the Jews didn't like him very much and so forced him out. And the, the next one in line to come take over this place was Pontius Pilate. So that's why Pontius Pilate is ruling in Judea. And what we'll know from the future and what we'll see when Jesus is um, being crucified, you can flip there actually right now, just look with me, teach you to kind of look around here. Look at Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, flip over just a few pages. Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is about to be crucified, who is he brought before first? Pontius Pilate, at least in governance. He's brought before Pontius Pilate. So this is the setting. These are the people that are going to be around during Jesus' life. First, we see this Roman emperor, Tiberius Caesar. He's the one who's going to be in charge during this time frame. Then what we see after this is Pontius Pilate. He's the governor of Judea. And then we see some more people, and they're called tetrarchs. You know why they're called tetrarch? What tetrarch means? It means ruler. And tetrarch is actually, in fact, what they would rule over would be a fourth of the region. Tetrarch is why they were, it was called tetrarch because of the fourth although later on what would happen is these that fourth aspect would be obsolete now all of a sudden you're just called a tetrarch if you're just a ruler right they like generalize the phrase although it started so again listen herod the great divides his uh, regions into places now he didn't divide them into four he divided them into three which again shows that there's just a generalization of rulers being called tetrarchs and one of them was Archelaus who then became Pontius Pilate became the, the, the ruler in that area and then we see the rest of the sons who who, um, who led in the, during this time look at this his brother Philip the tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Tra, uh, Trachonitis and then Lysanias uh, the tetrarch of Abilene. And so what we're watching here is, look at this, ready? Roman Emperor, Pontius Pilate over Judea, Herod, not Herod the Great, but his son, Herod Antipas, over the Tetrarch of the region of Galilee, and then his brother, Philip, the Tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis, and then Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. So let me t- 
touch on each one of those for just a second. Herod, Herod Antipas, the ruler of the region of where? What does it say there? Galilee. Where, did, where was Jesus from? Galilee. In the town of what? Nazareth. And so Herod Antipas is very interesting, to me at least. I don't know, maybe not to you. But he would be the ruler of the region in which Jesus would grow up in and live in during his whole life. Can you imagine, like, this is, that's the ruler over the region where Jesus would live. Herod Antipas. And so that's that region. And then what we see next is Philip. Philip is the other son who's over another region, and these regions are becoming smaller and smaller and more um, insignificant, I guess, so to speak, moving into the, the Jewish world. And Philip, he was, the, uh, he was the ruler of these two places and would be the actual founder, builder of Caesarea, is named after him. What? Philippi. Philip. Over Caesarea Philippi. Right? His name down. So then we move further in, and when we get to the last one, Lysanias, we don't even like really know much about this dude, right? It's not, it's, 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 it, we don't know any form of history about him or the places that he ruled over Abilene. So what we see, listen, stay with me, is this emperor over the Roman rule, and we move into then these tetrarchs of these places that move closer and closer into the Jewish world. It starts out in secular history. Rome was known as the ends of the earth. And then we're moving closer and closer. Now listen, lest you be disinterested, let me ask you this question. Why did God put this here? Why did Luke write this? Why is he spending so much time telling us this historical facts about the context and the situation in which Jesus was going to come, in which John was coming during that time frame? Why? He wants us to notice something. And what he wants us to notice is this great scope of how much importance the gospel of grace truly has. Listen, this gospel of grace is going to transcend all of history. It's going to transcend all rulers, all powers. Like, yeah, there's an emperor, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of governors. This gospel of grace is going to be far more weighty than any ruler or any time in history. It's going to go beyond any distance that might be seen as too far. This gospel of grace that John is bringing, preparing hearts for, and Jesus will usher in in his kingship will go to the ends of the earth and no ruler will ever be able to stop it. And so you're watching all of these rulers sit here in a time in which the most important thing that was happening in history, even during their rule, was some weird guy out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey and bringing this message of grace to the people to prepare for the Messiah coming. The most important thing wasn't their rule or Rome. The most important thing was the gospel of grace to where you don't have to work for your sin to be paid for. God pays for it through His Son, the Messiah. And so we're not done with this section. Listen, goes on and now moves into the religious leadership of the time. And what we see during this is now the high priesthood. Okay, so it's gone from Rome to these local Palestine political rulers. Okay, so Rome, Palestine rulers... Now, into the religious rulers specifically of the Jews, right? And what does it mention here? What does Luke tell us? Luke tells us that there's Annas and Caiaphas, which is unique because there's only one high priest. And the high priest at this time is actually Caiaphas, not Annas. But Annas is mentioned because Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And Annas, in this particular time and, and, and locale, that Annas was really kind of the voice behind the high priesthood. Like the father-in-law was behind the scenes, right? And Caiaphas was kind of like the puppet. Annas really told us what was going to happen. And we know this is true because if you look at John chapter 18, when Jesus was brought to the high priest 
um, John chapter 18, verses 12 through 13, um, who is he brought to? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of Jesus arrested Jesus and bound him. And first they led him to who? The father-in-law of Caiaphas. Annas is really in charge, right? So that's why it says both, even though there's only one high priest. But what this shows us as we finish these verses for point number one is the scope, the weight of the gospel of grace. It's during this time, it's during these rulers that we will see this gospel of grace come forth. And Luke thinks it's so important to show us how this gospel of grace enters into the secular world and filters down through every level and will transcend all of history and all powers for all time. This is the scope. God is calling repentance to the Jews because they want to earn their way to God. And he's saying this is the gospel of grace that will come to you, not based upon your works, but based upon my merit through my son. Prepare your hearts, get ready. Unless we think it's a small time thing, this gospel of grace is so important that it will transcend everything. Listen, this is such a turn in history. This is more lasting than the greatest moments and the greatest people and the greatest accomplishments in history. This is more important than anything happening in the midst of these giant rulers. This is more important than any religious position that would be held by anybody. This will transcend all dates in all history, and this will go as far as we can see to the ends of the earth. The distance will be unhindered, and it will be for all types of people. This is the vision of the gospel of grace. Here it is. And there's one message within these first two verses. It's superior. It's superior to everything. It's superior to all things. This is the weight. This is the showstopper. It will transcend all of history, all distances, all powers, and all forms of religion. The gospel of grace. And so it would be right for us to ask this question. Does the gospel of grace hold this much weight in my life? Is it my treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Is the gospel of grace your treasure? Have you repented from a works-based righteousness? Have you turned away from trying to earn favor before God for salvation? Trying to outweigh the scales and trying to, to keep the law so that God would approve of you for all of eternity? I'll tell you, you can't. You can't do that. Have you turned away? You've got to turn away from that and understand the gospel of grace, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins to pay for it because you can't earn your way to God. And that you trust in his merit and merit alone and by grace through faith, you're saved from your sin. And then as Christians, this gospel of grace continues to hold the greatest weight in our lives. It's our treasure. It's what we think about most. It's what we bank our hope on. It's how we filter the Bible as we read it. It's what we share with the people around us on a regular basis. Is Jesus your treasure? Is the gospel of grace what you trust in? Is it have magnitude, weight? Is it glorious? Is it powerful? Does it hold this much weight in your life? The first thing that Luke is showing us here is the weight and the powerful gospel of grace. The second aspect that we see about this gospel of grace, the first thing we saw was the great scope. The second thing that we see in our passage is the great source of the gospel of grace. And this is how we're going to finish out this section of the first six verses. We see first the great scope, and then we see the great source. So this gospel of grace is here, and it is going to transcend everything, everybody, and it's because of who it's from. The great source of this gospel of grace is who? God. And isn't that great news? Listen, this, this is great news that God has sent this gospel to you. This gospel of grace is what he thought up in his mind. 
He pursued you even when you were stuck in your sin and that you couldn't earn your way to him by your own righteousness. God came up with the way to say, hey, look, I'm going to send my own son on your behalf so that you don't have to earn it and I will pay for it for you. You trust in my son and I will make you righteous before me. And this is God's idea. This shows us his love, his pursuit, his kindness, his grace towards us. This is a loving message, even though it sounds pretty harsh, right? What do we see in these verses? We see in 2B, ready? The word of who? The word of who? God. It came to John. So this wasn't just like John's out in the wilderness, which is, by the way, the desert. He's got his toes in the sand. And uh, he's eating, you know, he's dipping those locusts in the wild honey and stirring them around. And then all of a sudden he says, you know what? I'm going to start to just, I'm going to go start preaching the message that Jesus is coming. God comes and says, hey, John, listen, go. Go start preparing the hearts of the people. And what we see, this word of God reminds us of what kind of role John plays this prophetic role, like what we see in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 2, to whom this is like what happened with Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord is coming to John. And he's preparing, he's calling John to prepare the way for the people to receive this gospel of grace. But he says more. Look at this. Look at down at your text. He says, the word of God came to John, the son of who? And I love that because what that does is like, he didn't need to say that. If you read your Bible and ask yourself these questions, he didn't need to say Zechariah there. He could have just said, and the word of God came to John and John did this. He said, the word of God came to John, the son of, remember, Zechariah, which flips us back once again, turning your Bibles to John chapter one. You just, it brings to mind once again, oh yeah, this is the son of Zechariah. What did Zechariah say about his son? Verse 76, look at this. You child, he's speaking of John, will be called a prophet of the most high God, right? And this is what you will do. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and give knowledge of salvation how one is to be saved to the people oh yeah this is what john came to do the john the son of zechariah is now here preparing the way oh the son of zechariah zechariah is the one in whom predicted or prophesied what would be of his son which is this prophet who would prepare the way of the lord you will go before the lord to prepare his ways verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his his people who were his people the Jews in the forgiveness of sin how your sins can be forgiven because of what because of the harshness of God because of the heavy hand of God no verse 78 because of the tender mercy the gospel of grace will produce this salvation and John, you were called to go prepare the way. Whereby, listen, the, sun's, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So Jesus will come. The God will visit. He's about to come in this section to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then we see again, verse 80, the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. So it brings back this idea of Zechariah uh, showing us, prophesying about who Um, John will be, which is one who will prepare the way, prepare the hearts, a prophet who will get ready the people to receive this gospel of grace for salvation that is from God. So the word of God came to him, the John, the son of Zechariah, who was in the wilderness. Listen, and this is what he did. Look at with me, verse three. He went into all of the region around the Jordan and proclaimed what? The baptism of repentance, which is... You need to repent because you're sinful. And this is good news because he's rebuking them that repentance is necessary, Jewish people. Don't think because Abraham is your father that you're already in right standing. 
He's telling them basically, Jewish folk, you're sinners too. And what's key here is he uses the word baptism because baptism was like a rite of cleansing, so to speak, in the Jewish world. Okay, now you got to hear this. This is a very stinging phrase. When he says the bat, I'm telling you, this is harsh. Like John the Baptist is not being easy on them. This is a stinging phrase. Why? Because even though he's calling them to the gospel of grace, he's got to make one thing clear before they will receive this gospel of grace. You are unrighteous. That's the harshness which moves you into a joy-filled receiving of grace. And so what he's showing them here is you've got to be baptized by repentance, right? And this baptism here, listen, is a very stinging phrase because for the Jews, they would practice this. This applied to a Jewish ceremony that was suitable and regular for the Gentiles who would convert to Judaism symbolizing a cleansing from your Gentile ways coming into our righteous Jewish ways. And it was suitable for only Gentiles. And then John basically denounces these people who expected that in judgment, God would deal harshly with Gentile sinners, but that the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham would be safe because of their heritage. And now John's saying, hey, Jews, be baptized. You're dirty. And they would say to themselves, you're calling the same thing of us as you, as we do of the Gentile people. He's rebuking them for thinking that they can be in right standing with God because of their heritage, which will lead them to a beautiful place of receiving this gospel of grace. So this is a stinging phrase. And he says that this will be what produces the forgiveness of sins. And then we see more. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet And then he quotes Isaiah, which we see in Isaiah 43 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This is from God and all flesh We'll see it. It's not based upon your heritage. It's based upon God's movement through his son. And they're going to see this together because it's from God for the mouth of who has spoken of the Lord has spoken. He's called this into place. He's called John to prepare the way. And yet there's even more evidence that this is from God because this is not the start of it. God has been saying this through his prophets of old for a long time. This is what God was saying would happen. So we see the word of the Lord, then we see it's from his prophets of old. This is not the beginning. And we see even more specifically that this is from God in the content of what is being said here. Because what would happen is that when a king would come into town, they would make the road ready. They would even out all the rough places. They would... Fill in all the potholes. So I think about like any uh, people love the movie Aladdin. All right, I'm hoping I'm not embarrassed here. Okay, there we go. People are like, I don't know if I want to be recognized for that. It's coming out again soon. I I really pray it's good because or else they're going to just, I'm going to feel ashamed of my childhood, right? Like that was my favorite one and uh, Disney movie. And I remember him riding in, right? And everyone chanting. And I think about that when I, when I read this for some reason. Here's what's happening. This is a picture of them making the roads ready, making way for the king to come in. This is what would happen. They would prepare the roads. They would prepare the, the path. They would fill in all the holes, and they would make all the rough places smooth so that the king could come in and ride in smoothly without a bump. And yet what John is calling here is not for them to prepare the roads, but for them to prepare their hearts. Get your heart ready. Get your heart ready. Understand and prepare your heart 
so that it's ready in its understanding that you will not be justified by God through your righteous deeds. You will be justified by God through His grace. Forsake your hope in your forefathers and understand that you are unclean. You, Jew, need to be cleaned and cleansed from all of your unrighteousness. And if you can get your heart ready to understand that, then the king can come riding in to your heart with ease and reign and rule in your heart forever. And so this is the inauguration. This gospel of grace is coming in with the king. The king's bringing it. It's from God. And so what we see in this passage is two great truths of this gospel of grace, which is the theme of this section. The two great truths are its scope, the first one, its weightiness, and I pray that it would hold deep and meaningful weight in your life. And the second aspect of this is the source. The source is not man. This is not a man's gospel. This is from God. And how wonderful, how wonderful that you can know that God, you can understand the heart of God when you understand this gospel. I mean, God, in his loving kindness, brought about a gospel in which you don't have to earn your way to him. In the midst of your sin, pursued you out of love with grace in which His Son is the merit of your righteousness, not you keeping the law. And I pray that this week, as you meditate on these two truths from this section, that you would rejoice that the gospel of grace would be weighty to you, it would be your treasure, that you would hold on tightly to it, that you would never move from it, that you would view the world through it and view God's heart through it, and that you would get a big old picture of how great and loving God is. Because he's the one who thought this up. This gospel of grace was ushered in because the king came. It was his word who brought it forth. It was his doing. And that's how great our God is. And so praise God for the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we're so thankful for this gospel. We're so thankful that you have called us into a gospel that is truly good news. No matter how hard it is on us to receive difficult words of repentance... God, you have shown us that this repentance isn't just any simple repentance. You've called the people and you even call us today to repent from a works-based righteousness, a way in which we would try to earn our right standing with you for all of eternity. That we would turn away from it and move into a place where we understand and are ready to receive the cleansing that comes from the gospel of grace. Your grace. And God, I pray that we would notice today how great this gospel of grace is. There ain't no power or distance or, or religion that can stop it. It will transcend and penetrate all of history to the ends of the earth. You will be victorious. The scope is far, it's deep, and it's wide. That we would treasure it with as much weight as you show us that it has. And God, I pray that we would also deep down in our hearts rejoice at the source that God who sends and, and creates and puts forth this gospel of grace. God, that it would point us to your loving heart and show us more of who you are. We praise you, God. We praise you for the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you to joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.